Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or or joining us over our YouTube channel, we're so glad you're here with us. If this is your first visit or you're a long-term member, we hope you will feel at home with us and participate in all aspects of our service this morning. To acknowledge your presence, and if you're comfortable doing so, if you would take one of the... uh, Uh, registers off the uh, hymnal book holder on the aisles and fill that out we would appreciate it uh, so that you can show us your presence this morning. Well you you will notice that uh, our typical uh, musical staff is not with us this morning. Uh, Debbie Chandler and Justin Havert are both ill and at home but but doing okay. Uh, D.H. Clark is out of town and we appreciate so much our own uh, Vicki Crutzer leading the choir this morning. Thank you, Vicki. And thank you and welcome to Dr. Julian Jones, who joins us as our pianist this morning. And we also thank him, Julian. Thank you for being with us. Uh, the, the 2022 care book books, group, care group books are available and located on the table in the hallway outside the pastor's office. And when you pick up your book, please sign the sheet so that Renee will know that you have gotten your book. Because if you, for those who don't get their books, the books will be mailed to them or will be distributed by their, uh, your care group leaders. We're thankful to Robert Crawford for the beautiful uh, uh, flower arrangement this morning on our communion table. Okay, so this is complicated. The, the flowers are in three segments. On either end, those flowers are going to Welton and Judy, uh, Gaddy, and to Tracy and Mary Sando. So you can only take flowers from the middle, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so if you would like some flowers to, to brighten your or someone else's week, please only take flowers from the middle. And hopefully you can figure that out. Uh, and always, as always, please review the insert in your order of worship for other announcement and opportunities. This afternoon, Bobby Ligon, thank you, Bobby, invites us to gather at her home at 5.30 to celebrate Steve and Sandra Jolly's being with us this weekend. Everyone is welcome to come and enjoy some food, drink, fun, and fellowship and to visit with Steve and Sandra. Bobby's home is at 2127 Pargu Boulevard in Monroe. You'll see that on the insert. So if you can't remember that address, take your insert home with you. Or if you forget, you can look it up in your care group book that you're going to pick up this morning. And now we do welcome Steve and Sandra Jolly back to Northminster. Steve is our pulpit guest and worship leader this morning. And of course, uh, well-known to Northminster folks, having been our intentional interim pastor for almost two years, from 2017 to 2018. And I believe the consensus is that he served us well. I heard it, amen, I think. Uh, (laughs) At Northminster, we don't hear many amens. After... After his stint at Northminster, Steve was the interim pastor for Ridge Road Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina from 2019 to 2020, 
and taught sociology at Elon University in the 2020-2021 academic year. And prior to joining us in our discernment process, he had just completed a one-year period as interim senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Steve holds uh, certifications in intentional interim ministry from the Center for Congregational Health and the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And he previously served as senior pastor of Freemason Baptist Church in Norfolk, Virginia for 12 years and has served other churches in various ministry capacities over the years. He's got a PhD in sociology from North Carolina State University, a master's of divinity degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary before the fundamentalist takeover, and a bachelor of arts degree from North Carolina State University. Sandra is recently retired from uh, IBM after many years of service and they maintain their home in Cary, North Carolina. Steve and Sandra, welcome back to Northminster. Thank you, Craig, very, very much. And I get a little emotional here. I wanna thank you. You guys were absolutely wonderful to us while you we were here. We love being with you. There's been many a conversation in our household about, well, we need to get back to Monroe and just check in on folks because you have woven yourselves into our souls. And so I am honored and grateful for the opportunity to be back, to be with you again today. It is a joy beyond words. So thank you for the honor of allowing me to stand in this uh, very um, special pulpit among such special people as yourselves. You mean a lot to us. and We appreciate it. Will you join me in our call to worship? We come before God, needing God's attention. A third calendar year of pandemic, of panic, of seeming pandemonium. This is one of those times that our own perception is that we must be invisible. We are living these days in a valley, under the shadow of death. God restores our soul and leads in paths of healing and grace. Thanks be to God.
God, you do not abandon us. You search us and know us. When we rise up and when we lie down, you hem us in behind and before us. You protect us. This is such good news in times of trouble, we cannot comprehend it. We cannot even run away from your spirit. If we were able to travel into the heavens, you would be there. If we made our beds in the depths of hell, you would be there. If we had wings that took us to the furthest limits of the universe, you would be there. If we say in desperation, surely darkness shall cover me and light around me becomes night, you say to us, I am not the dark, I am the day. I am with you. Darkness shall be as light. Search us, O God, know our hearts. Cleanse us of despair and hopelessness. Let us see your light even as you see us in the dark. Lead us in your everlasting way. Amen. A psalmist prayer. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Eternal Creator, perhaps the first word we should give is gratitude. Thank you for all the good things that have made up this day. The taste of a good cup of coffee, the, the smells that we have delighted in from fresh bread to the burning wood. We thank you for the majestic views, perhaps out our windows, to to see others out and about for such things as grand canyons and waterfalls and quiet paths, for the things that we have tasted like ripe tomatoes or wonderful strawberries, for the human touch that has come that has warmed us, for fuzzy blankets, for all the goodness that we delight in and enjoy. But we also thank you for your divine presence. Oh, sometimes that presence has come in a very quiet voice, maybe standing on the edge of a lake or at the ocean's roar. We've just simply sensed there is something there bigger than us, that you love us and treasure us. 
There's been maybe rare occasions where you have come in technicolor vibrance that, that our lives have sort of been awash in your love and our souls have found newness and freshness. And so for all these things, we say thanks. But we also recognize that all is not well in the world. And so we also ask for your help. We know in this very moment there are international stresses and fears that drive people. In our own personal lives, there are worries about things like inflation or the political divide that makes a, an uncivil war. We are concerned about COVID and, and the illnesses that limit our own being. We worry about our vision, both as our eyes see, but also as our minds reach out. We worry about our mobility. Can we go the places we want to go? And sometimes we feel as if our hope has run away and there is just a limit to our lives, to our world, and to who we are. And so we ask for your presence to be here. That in these moments of worship, we have come into the quiet to find you, to know that you care about us and our world, and that you will send us from here with a fresh step to do justice and live mercy and share your love with others. So we pray not only for ourselves and our world, but for this church, this church that means so much to us, for the future of Northminster, for whoever is the new pastor out there that we do not yet know, but that you know. And so we ask you to bless us and to bless them with wisdom and knowledge and with love. And so we come in this moment of prayer that we ask these things in Christ's name. May they be so. Amen. Gospel of John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, 
where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see things greater than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. the new normal? Yuck. The COVID virus has, in general, disrupted most of what we would consider normal, right? For many of us, what was routine? Well, it's almost a vague shadow of the way we were. You come to church wearing form-fitting masks now. Conversation, well, sometimes it might be about LSU or Green Bay football. But more often now, we start talking about, well, should I stay with the cloth thing or should I spend the money on a K-95? (laughs) Church researchers tell us that when this is all over, we should expect folks who turn up for church to be about a third to half fewer in attendance. I mean, our charitable contributions are down. They're going to suffer. Mental health care workers, well, they tell us that isolation and anxiety have taken their toll. Alcohol consumption and weight are up. Patience and civility are down. Whether it's waiting uh, for a waiter or uh, flying around, well, lines are longer and patience is a lot shorter, isn't it? Well, let's be honest. We do not do well when our normal gets blown. We are in many ways very much creatures of habit. We are drawn into routine. We, we love our comfort zones, do we not? In many ways, we are people who like predictable, ordinary, if you will, normal, right? I think that's one of the reasons we love traditions. I mean, think back over Advent and Epiphany. What were the traditions that you kept going no matter what? We're going to do this. I mean, whether it's grandma's cookies or the your uncle's light-up tie that's so terribly gaudy, or singing a carol or an ornament that got broken and isn't on the tree this year, you notice those kinds of things. We are keenly aware when things are not normal. How many times have you heard folks say, well, it's just not like it used to be? In so many ways, we're like the senior adult who made 100 years of age and was interviewed by the local TV station, to which the reporter said, So, Mr. Jones, I I guess you've seen a lot of changes over 100 years, to which he replied, yeah, and I've been against every one of them. (laughs) From Christmas break, don't students like to know that, hey, let's get back to routine. Let's get back to normal. Students are upset when they're having to stay at home. They want to be in a classroom. 
work schedules. They give us a sense of order. And if we don't have normal, how would we know, well, what side of the road to drive on when we get in our car? Or, well, what time or even day of the week to show up for worship? I mean, we like normal because it is both safe and it provides us sanity. As persons of faith, we should note that it is the predictable that God gave us. I mean, when you look at the first chapter of Genesis, it is God who gave order to the chaos, who separated light from dark, who separated water from land, who established the cycle of day and night. We should thank God that our lives have some sense of routine and predictability and normal. Bluntly, we have had just about too much new to absorb over the few years. Too much chaos to corral, too much energy we have had to put into figuring out what crazy the world is going to unleash on us next. So here we are in 2022, and boy, are we yearning for a return to the normal. Still, we can admit, like most gifts, normal does have a dark side to it. I mean, also according to psychologists, when we fall into our routine, we tend to shut down our mental processes. Our brains just go somewhere else on us. With routine, we can sort of check out. So when I brush my teeth, I really don't think about brushing my teeth. I'm just doing it on automatic pilot. I don't really know what I'm doing in the moment. It's the classic story of just going through the motions, isn't it? How often do we describe routine as something that you know, we're just sort of walking through it or we're mailing it in. Yeah, we're there, but we're not really there, are we? Our brains escape. We're on automatic pilot, and simply we are not aware of what's going on around us. Hmm. Routine, normal, we like that, but it can also leave us unaware. For example, in routine, I quit seeing that crack in the mirror that's in the bedroom. Or the burned out light that's in the chandelier. Or the hole that's in my sock. It's why on occasion Sandra will ask me, you know, if the porch lights were left on. Or if the store that I drove by on the way home is open right now. And I'll have to say, well, I don't know. I went right by there. I know I saw it, but I didn't really see it. I know I looked right at it, but I didn't observe what was really going on. I didn't pay attention to what was right there in front of me. Because I was in the midst of my routine, I was doing my normal stuff, it allowed my brain to just go into neutral and drift off into somewhere else. Bluntly, I wasn't watching what I was doing or going, and I failed to see what was around me. And when we get brutally confessional, we can do that same thing with people around us, right? We get so engrossed in our routine, we're only vaguely aware of the, the homeless man at the intersection or the neighbor's kid that we haven't seen in a few weeks or the woman who sat just two rows back from us in church. Well, she hasn't been there for a while, has she? In a way, things get invisible when we're doing our normal. We get that inattention can be a very human problem, right? So while we love the way things are, there's this dark side to it. The thing is, the early folks uh, in humanity's uh, history, they had the exact same thoughts about God. 
at the dawn of history, existence in their world was, was divided up into this flat earth where all the people lived and this big domed place up there where the gods or God lived. They assume, perhaps like some of us, the chaos of life going on up there somehow took God's attention away from us down here. And so you needed to do something to get God's attention. And so some traditions had worshipers that lifted all kinds of screaming chants or, or do bloodletting or danced in an uproar as an attempt to get the attention of their God. You see elements of our thinking still in Genesis. People went up to the high places to make their sacrifices because they believed if you really wanted to get God's attention, if you really wanted God to notice you, you had to do something extraordinary. You had to get closer up so that burnt sacrifice would get up and the smell would make it to God who was way up there. I mean, we kind of still do this today. Don't we call God the, the man upstairs as though God were somehow way up in heaven away from us? Fortunately, what happens across the biblical narrative is we get to learn that God is not way up there. It, the biblical story gives us a radical, if slow, rethinking about all of this. Yes, there are vestiges of that theology around, but look at how the narrative goes. They go from worshiping this distant, disinterested creator, and yet then they start seeing that God is interested in Abraham. Under the trees at Mamre, Scripture suggests God shows up totally unannounced to declare that the Almighty has an eternal eye on watching this single person for the purpose of blessing the world. And so in Exodus, God comes again, unbidden, unasked to Moses, and then into Sinai to proclaim a never-ending concern, not for one person or one family, but for this entire nation of the Hebrews. And by the time we get to the temple, one understands that God's eye is not just held way up in heaven, but is also residing here on earth. The thought that God watched over all those who were observant Torah keepers, the king, the priest, the holy city, that was how they thought about things. But by the time we get to the prophets, God made it clear the divine vision was exceedingly broad. Hosea noted that the Levitical Code made clear that the Creator's concern was not for some exclusionary group just over here. The law said God's neighbors, both Hebrew and alien, were to be treated with justice and compassion, and they were not to be exploited or ignored. Isaiah 45 proclaims the divine design. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Before me every knee shall bow and every tongue will swear and all people will say of me, in the Lord alone is righteousness and strength. The book of Jonah is really a very pointed story of God's love and compassion for people in a far distant land that they normally thought of as some sort of heathen, immoral abomination. By the time we get to Jesus, the biblical story is saying it's not Abraham, it's not the Hebrews, it's not just Israel on whom the divine eye is watching. God's love watches every single human being that's out there. And it's underscored in what Christians just proclaimed in the birth of Jesus, that God is 
Emmanuel. God is one who comes to us to be with us. Not just one family, one group, one race, some spiritual elite, not just men or Americans or Christians, but all people everywhere. The birth of Christ is God's way of saying all of us are God's people. And you and I and every soul on the planet are God's beloved children. The annual celebration of Christmas is that proclamation with an exclamation point. God loves us enough to become one of us because God treasures every single one of us. We are now in the liturgical calendar post-Epiphany. As you know, tradition says Epiphany is when the Magi or the, the wise men show up to worship Jesus. What is often missed in the cultural telling is how much outsiders the Magi were. They weren't just Gentiles. They were religious pagans, astrologers who would be more connected in our day with gypsy fortune tellers and tarot card readers than Torah law. The Star of Bethlehem, a worldwide visual, is how God made it clear that Jesus comes for all people, everywhere. God's pronouncement is not just to nearby shepherds or to religious insiders in Jerusalem who thought they were the center of God's universe. Epiphany proclaims that God's heart is open for all those who want uh, that we would exclude as weird people from the far side of the moon. Put another way, Epiphany is where you and I get to show up in the story. It's where God makes it clear that the focus of attention is not on some select group of folks and everyone else gets ignored. Epiphany says God is not so consumed with the routine of heaven that he ignores what is going on down here. We get noticed and Epiphany proclaims you and I and every soul on the planet are part of God's care. And so John 1, in a real way, is an epiphany tale. Jesus is beginning his ministry in Galilee, and he invites Philip to be part of his itinerant religious academy. So Philip then runs off and finds his buddy, Nathaniel, this guy that he's known probably all his life. And he tells him, I've discovered the Christ. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathaniel, eh, this is no big deal. Nazareth is very far from the center of what he had been taught was where God is from the temple. How could any good thing of God come from a place like Nazareth or Drew or Ruston or Rayville or Marion, you know? Nathaniel's work schedule is kind of full and he doesn't really trust a traveling religious roadshow. But he's going to placate his friend because they're close. And so he tells his secretary, can you hold my calls for a while? I'll be right back. So he goes off to meet Jesus, thinking he'll shake hands, chat a little bit, and then he'll get back to work. But things change when he enters into the presence of Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael says. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. <clears throat> now, what I want you to note is Nathaniel did not get wowed because Philip is some oratory smoothie or wins debate points 
or even explains the four spiritual laws to him. Nathaniel gets changed because Jesus answers one of the most significant questions that any of us can ask another human being. How do you know me? Simply, Jesus knows Nathaniel is a man of integrity. And because he's seen him, and because Jesus sees him, Nathaniel understands he is truly known. He's truly understood for who he is. And that gets transformative. It changes him so much, he then drops everything and says, okay, I'm in with this Jesus crew. Look, one of the best things about a church is how people begin to see each other. Over the years, we get to share our stories. We get to know each other. We get to love and care for each other. We, we laugh with old friends. We throw baby showers for new life. We fuss over the budget with each other. We bless small babies. We hold hands in hospital rooms. Folks at Northminster come to welcome the stranger and the grieving. And because we start to really see each other, we come to know the chapters of each other's stories. Some of them are the comedies, some are the tragedies, some are the dreams, and some of our, our, our motivations. You see, it's when we really see each other that we come to know each other. And yes, we worship an almighty one, but the sacred is also in knowing we have come to care and love for each other. You've ever read or seen Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town? You know it's set in the cemetery of Grover's Corner in New Hampshire. Young Emily Webb has died, and from the grave, she mourns her losses. And she is allowed by request to relive her 12th birthday. Now, she expects to find joy in going through that, experiencing again all the festive moments that that day held. But in the replay of that day, it brings her a great sense of anguish because she recognizes that her deepest need is to be seen, and it never really happens. All those around her, they're trapped into the routine and the mundane, the, the normal of living, if you will, and so they never really see her. Oh, mama, she pleads from the grave, tells the stage manager, why can't she just look at me? Look at me. She laments to the stage manager, and he says, we don't really have time to look at one another. And she asks, do any human beings ever realize life as they live it? He replies, well, the saints and the poets, maybe. They do some, saints and poets. Today, I hope you have an epiphany that makes you a saint. I hope I have one. To notice that God sees you, knows you, is an active mover in your story, in our story, the story of Northminster Church. Know that you don't have to, to wear a purple hat or a pair of rabbit ears or set a cow on fire or wave your hands in the air or pray 50 times a day if you want to get God's attention. The good news we proclaim here is that God sees every single one of us. Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female, black and white, gay and straight, Republican or Democrat, or any marker that you want to make that would divide people into those folks and God's favorites. God loves you. He knows your story, and God knows mine. The divine eye that is indeed on the sparrow is also on the prisoner in Guantanamo and the Pope in the Sistine Chapel.
There are moments that eye is full of tears when car bombs or cancer steals the life of a precious soul, and that divine eye can twinkle when old enemies make up, make peace, or estranged siblings can say to each other, I'm really sorry. God watches us all at our most noble and at our most petty. When we dance on the hill of success or writhe in the anguish of our failures, God watches us and knows us intimately because God loves us. And that love is most clearly seen and fully experienced in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, in whose presence we can grasp that God sees us and cares. And when we understand that God in Christ, that that God sees us, we become like Nathaniel. We discover the revelation of the Almighty. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Look, I... I have no clue where you are today. I mean, perhaps you're at the top of your game. I mean, you're celebrating a raise, your 401k is soaring, you have a new love, a new child. Maybe today is life is at the nadir. Work's a grind, COVID has you isolated and trapped. You're dealing with the divorce or the breakup or depression, or maybe a death has come close to you and you live with a wounded heart. The chaos of a fractured political world or nations in turmoil, they leave you anxious and fearful. But I want you to hear the gospel for today. God is not some distant, uncaring soul. We sing of a God in three persons. That means God is personal. We pray that what we find, what Nathaniel discovered, that God comes to each of us because the Holy One cares for us and cares for you, whatever is going on in your life. Just like you know the story of the one you love the most, God knows your story as well. And when you understand that, that love can rock your world and transform your soul when you know you have been seen by God. So hear God's word for you today. It says, I love you, my child, and I've got my eye on you, and may we then... Know that we've been seen and open our eye to the world with the divine eye. And perhaps we'll start to see as well and love each other as God loves. Gosh, wouldn't it be nice if we made that part of the new normal? Amen.